Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That is a sign. I have definitely used our dog as an escape route of oh. like when <laughs> I'm just tired and I want to leave. You didn't see very many faces out there of people like us who were starting families. That's because you're ultra, ultra cute. No. Well. <laughs> Myth busted. There ain't no gay man you're ever going to meet who says, oh, you know, had a really drunken night. And yeah. I know I'm a dad. Oh, no, I can't do this. Welcome to the Who's Your Daddy podcast, where we work to demystify the process of starting a family through non-traditional means. From foster to adoption to IVF and surrogacy, come along as we navigate this tricky space on our own journey to fatherhood. From parents who have navigated these processes before to the experts that help pave the way. Together, we hope to gain insight and answer as many questions as we can. We are your hosts and husbands, Michael and Matt, and today we are talking to Gays With Kids founder, Brian Rosenberg. Gays With Kids is a one-stop learning center for gay men looking to start their foster, adoption, or surrogacy journey to fatherhood. Brian has experience in all facets of non-traditional family building and has three beautiful children with his husband, Hi, Brian. Hello, guys. How Thank are you so you? much for having me here. I'm Thank awesome. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you both. I am so excited to have you on. Um, when Michael and I first started the journey on surrogacy, we were like, what's even the first question that we ask? Who do we ask these questions to? What do we do? And I think one of our first conversations was with you Literally. virtually. And we're like, Brian, what do we do? How, did we, how do we do this? <laughs> So we're so honored to have you on uh, as one of our first guests on the Who's Your Daddy podcast. Uh, this is very exciting because you are like one of the top experts that we know in the surrogacy adoption and foster care space. So I'm just so excited to learn from you and to hear kind of like for a lot of people out there who are looking to start their journeys or are thinking about the um, potential path to parenthood, how... How does one even start? Where do you even begin? So I would love to, I mean, we're going to start off first. I want to hear a little bit about you. Like where, where do you live right now? Um, where did you grow up? A little bit of your background story. I'd right. be happy to answer all that. But first I have to say, I'm honored to be here. I love you guys. I love watching you guys. I love your videos. I love the visibility you give to the gays. I only wish, you know, I live a different generation than you are. And I only wish. Uh, you, know, you guys were around when I was starting to come out, and I wouldn't have had the necessary that I had. At oh, any rate, thank <laughs> so thank you. Um, all right, so I parked my car in Habajad, so if it's not right. very <laughs> obvious where I'm from, I grew up on the North Shore. Um, the town that I grew up in claims to be the birthplace of the American Navy, so I'll let everyone Google to figure out where I grew up. Um, <laughs> and um, I now live in a suburb just west of Boston, where my husband and our kids moved six years ago to be closer to my family. Um, we have lived as a family in Canada and New York City. Um, oh, I love that. And it's like, yeah, can you tell where you're from from your accent? <laughs> <laughs> I lived outside of Boston. I moved away from it for 20 years. The accent no never where left me. 
I lived in New York City in Chelsea. We used to live in Ground Zero, 19th and 8th, then Hell's Kitchen, and then um, Toronto for five years while we're dealing with visa issues with my husband, which is a whole different topic. Um, And then back to New York City, we lived in um, the Bronx, in Riverdale. I like to say the Bronx because it makes me sound tougher than I am. Um, (laughs) And then we moved here to the suburb of Boston. Oh my gosh. So when did you, like, when did you first have your first kid? What year? Um, 2009. So Bert and I were together for a long time, but uh, I'm all, so actually we're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary. Oh my God. Happy year. anniversary. Yay. Thank you. Um, so that's not the right, that's a good response, but it better would have been, no way, 30 years. You, you look like you. <laughs> Just letting you know for the next time. Um <laughs> So, I still don't believe it. That's amazing. There you go. <laughs> See, I'm learning. I'm you're, learning. You're good. Um, and I have been HIV positive for longer than that. Okay. So, okay. like, becoming a dad was never in the cards. I never even thought it was possible hmm. uh, or a possibility. And, in fact, when I was your age, in my 20s and 30s, I probably attended some 30 funerals of guys oh. in their 20s and 30s uh, I remember we went to a funeral of a guy who turned 40, and everyone's like, oh, my God, do you think we can live to be that old? So oh the whole different wow. story. Um, and so it wasn't until the so-called cocktail effect, uh, which was in ni- 1995, came out. In 1996, I started to take these bills, and they worked for me. I could tell you the wow. year, because I was 31, and my doctor was a big mafia in the Boston area for HIV and AIDS. And so... He was asked by uh, Boston Bill they could uh, they'd love to interview some patients who were doing well on the cocktail. And sure, of course. So I got to you, and the guy said to me, so how old are you? And I actually answered, I'm 30 wonderful. Because I was, <laughs> like, finally doing well with the HIV stuff. Um, oh, wow. So it wasn't until way after that that we started thinking about fatherhood. And, you know, we yeah. had lots of nieces and nephews, loved them, and... Uh, that we had a dog and we're like, okay, we love having, we would leave parties early to go take care of the dog. Or we would, are you ready for, are you guys sitting? We would decline <laughs> brunch invitation because we want to take do for a walk in Central Park. That and, is a sign. That is a sign. I have definitely used our dog as an escape route of oh, like when I'm just time. tired and I want to leave. I don't know if you can see her. She's literally right here. Next I know to she's us. adorable. Um, but <laughs> yeah, she loves whenever we get on a call. If we're on a chair, she's like wants to jump up on but, her lap. No, we like, can't like be separate from she, her. She like literally she's, she's just always more so here. for Michael than for me yeah. because like I can I can I can take my space from the dog at times i'm like okay okay it's been wonderful but i'm okay going you know on a walk by myself or (laughs) going out i would never go on a walk by myself anymore oh my god so (laughs) selfish matthew i don't know know that i've ever canceled brunch Uh, because we wanted to go on a walk i know and so canceled brunch with your dog so we canceled brunch went to central park for the dog not only our nieces and nephews but honestly like any of my friends who had kids, I like wanted to be with them. I loved hanging oh, yeah. out with them, and I, I didn't care. I'd even change three diapers or feed them and birth them, etc. So um, he's like, I honestly don't think you're gonna feel fulfilled in life. Now that we know your doctor says you're gonna be around for a while, for a long time, 
I don't oh, think yeah. you'll be fulfilled in life unless you become a dad. And by then, I was in my mid-40s, and Ferd was in his upper 40s. And um, he said, all right. And so I got the seal of approval from my doctor, and uh, and then we started investigating um, different paths of fatherhood. I just think that's incredible. Like, I'm thinking about this change of perspective from the 1980s and 1990s of being HIV positive, being in an environment where you're seeing friends of yours pass away from this horrible disease, and then things starting to change around 1996 when you first started taking the cocktail of HIV medication, and you started to at least see that you were going to live a lot longer than what you were expecting to or the, what you were the seeing. The change from, from how long I'm going to live to then being able to be you know, like then thinking about like, well, now how am I going to become a, a, a father? father? That is like, that is quite a a, a 180, you know, yeah. of, of life. It's That's like awesome. a 360. That's and crazy. People can't imagine. I mean, those days were crazy. They were awful. But there was also a lot of wonderful stuff. I mean, we really came together as a community. Uh, people really bought it. We all lived in a gay, probably we all lived in, you know, the gay hood. Um, and um, everyone was really seemed to be very supportive, and we all knew that. Everyone had to realize how important it was to become out and how important it was to live your our authentic lives, be true to ourselves, and not care about what others had to think about us, and to start really advocating for our community in a big way. There's like a whole layer of appreciation on life and just gratitude of being alive and being able to celebrate who you are in pride and and then growing into that being able to grow a family and share that with them and i don't know i just i find that really touching so you're in your mid-40s and you don't have gays with kids um as a resource how did you even start oh trying to figure out how you were going to build your family. That's a great facility. I like the way you brought it back on topic. Um, so <laughs> I, um, we were living in New York City at the time. Um, there was an LGBT out there that used to run, I don't know if it still does, a program called Moms and Dads or Moms, whatever it was. And they had a once a month program uh, that they would bring people to to talk. And like some, I remember we went once with a guy who adopted a baby, someone else who had a baby through surrogacy. But it was like once a month, you know, so we did that two or three times and wasn't telling you how to do it though, right? Mm. Like, and then there was a conference in in New Jersey, I remember, um, an adoption conference. We found out about it and I, I said to my husband, Bert, oh, we should go. Look at this session on, literally the title was, you think you're too old to parent. Mm. And I'm like, I, wow, that's us. Like, cause that was my concern. Um, so we went back to that room was packed. It was SRO, SRO, um, and uh, I was the youngest person in the room no by way. far. My husband was the second youngest person in the room oh, by no far. Way. So I'm like, okay, we're not too old to parent. It's um, never too late. No, it's never too late. Um, <laughs> and so then, at, you know, honestly, I don't know how we figured it out. I tend to like when part of my life, like I can't tell you what it's like. A pair of three three babies under the age of two. I did it. I did it for several years, oh, but like my I forget about it. What you compartmentalize that. Yeah. So I can't tell you all. What I can tell you is that 
we decided to go through adoption um, for, for a whole bunch of reasons, but that was just mm -hmm. the decision mm -hmm. we came up with. And um, had a wonderful adoption agency, and they connected us with a woman who had a baby. She was a teacher. She, she really wasn't a woman. She was a teenager, and she was oh, living wow. with her teenage boyfriend who was not the bio dad of the baby, and he didn't want to be a dad. But uh, And so she wanted to stay with him, so it agreed to give her baby up for adoption. And so we got to meet them. Uh, we met him a couple of times, and I actually got to hold the baby. Mm. And I got to hold him and feed him, and I fell instantly in love with him, as honestly I do with baby I hold. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then she said he cured. And so oh we're like, oh How my old God. How were the parents? So, the, I mean, like 17. Yeah, yeah. teenagers. And um, he might have even been 16, honestly, but I think he was 17. Um, and, uh, but she did have a couple of caveats. Like, she won a couple of, I would call them red flags. Mm. And our mm -hmm. doctor agency even told us, they didn't call it red flag. They even said, you know, it's unusual. Like, she wanted, to hold on to the baby for another month and a half, she wanted to personally take him to a six-month called the get uh, well visit to the doctors just to make sure everything is fine. And then she said she wanted to hand him off after she knew she had done him well for the first six months. So that was a little bit strange. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then she also wanted us to keep the name she had given him, which we said fine with as well. So, and I had a resource to go back. And again, our adoption agency was, said it was strange. I held him and mm -hmm. I fell in love with him. And so I was willing, you know, we were like, yeah, whatever you, you do whatever you need to do for you, we'll be here. And, you know, um, he ended up after about a month and a half and he spent money on attorneys and social workers, et cetera. Oh, so he no. ended up deciding that she really wanted this. And you know what? That was totally her right, totally yeah. her right to do. And she left a boyfriend and we had no way to con connect with her afterwards. So, we realized we weren't going to become dads with this baby. And so we said, well, we're not getting any younger. Let's look into other options. And my husband found out about surrogacy. But we knew I was HIV positive. And so then he did research and found out that there's this wonderful lab called the Bedford Research Laboratory in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. um, a Dr. Ann Eastley, who had been working with almost, I think at that point, I don't know if the only straight couples, but... If they'd done any work with any gay guys, it was very few. I think I was one of the first gay guys that they worked with. Oh. Um, where it was all straight men who were HIV positive, who were with straight women who were not, and they got, they were able to have, through Dr. Keating's help at Bedford Research Lab, they were able to have HIV negative babies, and the women never seroconverted. Um, basically, mm. they were able to do some testing with your semen to see if you're going to be a carrier, and if not, they can wash off any risk. So um, that's pretty incredible. It was pretty incredible. So we figured all that part out. Then we signed a contract with the surrogacy agency that they had recommended because they had worked with because there were not a lot of surrogacy agencies or IVF clinics those days were very comfortable with HIV positive gay men, let alone HIV positive. Um, and three days later, our phone rang from the adoption agency to tell us that a baby boy had been born in Brooklyn and that we need to prepare to pick him up two days later. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, my God. And this is, it's like, okay, we already got the process of surrogacy rolling, and now we are, <laughs> surprise, adopting right. a child. Yes. Newborn a baby. Days. 
And I remember, so we went to um, Bye Bye Baby, this store, and big so they have a, a location in mm-hmm. Chelsea. I'm like, okay, guys, this is going to sound crazy, but we're bringing home a baby tomorrow, and we have nothing and no nothing. And yeah, I could see the king signs going up. Yeah. Uh, so they took us around, and we spent way too much money <laughs> and bought way too much stuff. And I want to come back to that in a second. Um, but um, I remember as we were walking around, half the stuff, more than half, like 75% of the stuff, I do not have labels on. And the labels said things like, mommy tested, mommy approved, mm. or baby from mm. mommy, mom made with love from mom. And I, as nervous as I was that we were bringing this newborn home the next day, I remember looking at Bert saying, are we not supposed to buy this stuff? Right. So epiphany yeah. number one I had before I even became a dad was that the parenting world certainly thinks that mom is solely responsible for raising children. Yeah, exactly. But it's better today. It's better today. Is it? Is it perfect? Is it, you know, Getting no. Yeah. It could still make changes, but it's better. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep an eye out next time we're at a store. I mean, like, we're not really frequenting. We're not frequenting baby stores at this point, but we have stepped in to a few. Yeah, we actually have, have a Bye Bye Baby right yeah. down the street. Do you and really? We did. Yes. Go and in we, there. You tell them the story I just shared with you. I will. We did buy some baby outfits from Bye Bye Baby. Do we have a baby right now? No. Do know. we have baby outfits? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I, I will tell you that for anyone who's listening who is like, pregnant or, you know, has a baby and, and is my adoption attorney. We freaked out. We're like, we have nothing. We can't take a baby. And I was like, Brian, <laughs> calm down. All you really need is a suitcase or a drawer. I kid you not. Meaning you can make a very comfortable bed out of a suitcase or a drawer. So, oh my God. When wow. I launched Games with Kids, the very first blog post written by me. And the title of that is all you really need is a suitcase or a drawer. Um, because it turns out that was fully true. It was the best advice I ignored. My mom's dad, so my paternal grandpa, yeah. was like like two pounds or something when he was born, and I think slept in a drawer in the dresser like for multiple months when he was first born. So yeah. that's actually pretty funny because they would always talk about that. Like, oh, yeah, Grandpa Cooley. Like did a drawer. Like slept in a drawer. Like they just they just opened the drawer and like made it comfy for right, us. Right, right. Yeah, it's crazy. This is also kind of insane to me. The the thought of like you guys deciding, okay, let's start a family, and then you know you're going down the path of adoption. It's not working well. You're thinking, let's pivot to surrogacy. Let's try that out. And as soon as you go there and start taking the steps, adoption comes knocking at your door and it's like, hello, it's time to have a baby, and. <laughs> It's kind of like this thing where where you go from we don't have any kids and and we don't know if we'll ever have a family to now we are going to at least have two kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, can I ask kind of a silly question? I mean, maybe it's not, but like um I know with friends of ours who have done foster, right? They like call you and they're like, "Hey, we need help with this child." Correct. But they they might be like leaving or going out of town and they're like, "Oh, sorry, like call the next person was that an option i mean i'm assuming that was an option of like hey you're first in line for this child being born in two days but like you could have said hey we're actually doing surrogacy right now but you were like nope nope bring him up so actually the baby levi was three days old when we got the call but he was already Mm -hmm. born Mm -hmm. um yes and we could have we didn't have to but 
if you need help with push right. oh, take absolutely. Them, right? Yeah, no, I know and I know you weren't applying that. But um so yeah, of course. When we as I said we had just signed with the surrogacy agency and that came with a pretty hefty deposit non refundable deposit, as you guys know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and so we're like, okay, so what do we do now? So we say, well, we'll just slow down the surrogacy process. Now, a lot mm -hmm. has changed, and I think I talked about this with you guys when we first spoke. A lot has changed in medicine and science and technological innovation from when I was going through, my husband and I went through our surrogacy journey from when you guys were starting. And so back in the days when we were doing this, so the girls were now 12, I should say Levi's going to be 14 in a few weeks, and as big as I am, um, and the girls are 12. Um, there weren't, what every doctor said, you know, you want to implant two embryos, and we know a lot of people implant three or more. And oh, what they wow. said was that the chances of having a healthy singleton, one child form, when you implant two embryos, went up, I'm going to get this totally wrong, but just went up significantly. Right. Okay. Yes, the chances of having twins also went up, but not nearly at that same level. Interesting. So my wow. friends used to joke, my my girl, my female friends, I used to joke, "Oh, I bet you're gonna get twin girls," <laughs> and that's what we got, yeah. girls. <laughs> so you so you implanted how many embryos? So we implanted two embryos. Okay, and um, both and, took. And so I would like to add also, just for the HIV positive listeners. Um, it turned out my husband's little spermy guys didn't swim so well. Oh. So the bio dad is the HIV positive guy. Now, as you guys will both realize when you become, it's no one's business at all. And I literally only share that because I like to mm -hmm. let HIV positive people know that they can become bio dad if they want to. That's awesome. I wonder if there are people out there who didn't realize that. I wonder how, you know what I mean? Like it's, you would, you would think maybe we're, we're so far beyond, but. I think that if somebody tested, then maybe they just immediately are like, oh, wow, this I is can never be a become problem. a dad. Yeah. 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 So I love that little piece Myth of information. busted. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Myth busted. Yay, science. <laughs> so three kids <laughs> below the age of two, all at the same time. Wait, That's so you didn't lot. really slow down the surrogacy? Process, I guess we didn't though. really slow down the surrogacy. So, so how long after. You adopted Levi then. Did you do the embryo transfer? So I can't answer that. I would have to do the math. I can it's tell you that math. the girls. Yeah, the girls were born 17 months later. And oh, I, wow. Let I throw another complication into the equation for you guys? Yeah. yeah. So again, this wouldn't <laughs> happen today. Because today, thankfully, we have marriage equality. But third, mm. my husband is stuck. And um, up until, you know, when Levi was born in 2009, I couldn't sponsor him and was here originally for a, for a school. He was getting his PhD and then he got a series of separate visas teaching, but never any of that would sponsor him for immigration. And at that point, like Massachusetts allowed gay marriage, I forget the handful of states that allowed gay marriage. But right. even though we lived in Massachusetts, uh, I couldn't sponsor for immigration because when you get married, I don't know if you know this, but you get married at the statewide level, you get a host of benefits, but it's not that many. Most of the marriage benefits actually kick in at the federal level. So until the federal government approves of our marriages, I couldn't give, even if Fred and I got married, I couldn't give him the benefits that were offered. 
And so it turned out from like a few years before Levi was born, Bird spent most of the time doing this research. And I tell you, it was complicated as heck. It was very, very challenging because there were no resources to go to. It was picking up the phones. It was going to offices. It was not fun. It's a lot of time. It was a lot of time. (laughs) And going online to figure out what we could find out. But there was like almost, there's very little period. There was nothing for Kate. I mean, nothing. Uh, At any rate, so Bird spent full time doing that. And after Levi was born, he, because he was European, he could come for three months as a tourist. And then he'd have to leave his passport oh stamp, and they could come back in. And so he did that for like three or four years. Jeez. And then after Levi was born, he had to leave the country. When he came back in, immigration officer said, I-, I see what you've been doing for the last several years. This is it. The next time you leave, do not try to come back because I'm going to make a note in the system. You're not allowed back. So now we had to figure out, oh, my God, where do we live? Do we let Bird stay? Do we stay in the state and Bird goes into out of status, meaning he's illegal. Oh, my God. And so we said, no. Bert didn't want him to Holland, and turns out Canada recognized us. So we actually, after Lipa was about five months old, we got a visa to live in Canada. And so we lived there what? for the next five years. So the girls were born in West Virginia, but we were Canadian on living Jeez. on us. And it gets even better than that. So the I found like the only attorney, a gay guy, who had worked with another couple where one was HIV positive and one was not, who wanted to emigrate. As you can imagine, countries were not too excited about having HIV positive people emigrate to them because they could become a burden on their society, on their medical system. So we had to prove that I wouldn't. And on the day our two-year visa expired, we were there for two years, at five o'clock we hadn't heard that I got Legal stat, like we were all going to get green cards. Uh, at 6 o'clock, found out that we got green cards. Literally, on the day our year piece expired. So, anyways, that was a whole time. Holy crap. That is... So, it's like a stress monster. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> thinking about it, I'm so grateful that we're doing this now, 13, 14 years later. Because, I mean, well, we wouldn't have the issue. But we're both U.S. citizens. We're both so U.S. citizens. We're filed right. that way. Things that have changed, it's like, okay, now as a gay married couple, you can get the K-1 visa for your right. partner coming overseas or international. And then additionally, like surrogacy agencies are way more apt to work with LGBTQ couples. That wasn't so much a thing in 2009 and before, um, lesser known. And then... I don't know. Just overall, there's there's less discrimination now in the U.S. when it comes to surrogacy for LGBTQ couples. There's still yep. a lot there, but we've come a long way in 10, 14 years. So, yeah. So I would I would ask, what inspired you to start Gays with yeah. Kids? Oh my God. But I oh. feel like we just like hmm. spent 20 minutes fact, of, yeah. about how difficult this whole process has been, <laughs> and how difficult <laughs> it was with zero resources, weird laws, and visas, and that's just. I, I mean, I think we sort of explained it, but if you, I, I mean, I would love to hear sort of like how you decided or when you decided like, okay, I have enough info to help people do this and I'm going to invest probably an inordinate amount of time in creating this, this website with these resources. So yes, after it became dad, I told you about Epiphany one that, you know, I realized and, and that by the way, that continued, right? First pediatrician visit, 
we found a daycare place for, for Levi. Like, they all had questions. Like, we just remember. And so, oh, and the, wow. That also. And then we would walk around, right? We had a stroller, a double carrier, and a single one in a chihuahua. So I'm sure we looked like <laughs> the circus sideshow, right? And so we're everywhere and people wanted to know stuff. And I was like, oh my God. And I just like, I went, we're the dad. We're the gay dad who don't ask me questions. Get what it took to get here. I need to connect with them. But there were very few gay dads. Back in those days, there were not a lot of gay dads. Again, people in my generation, you know, sadly, most right. too many of them passed away. Um, and then others, like, this was just never an option. And then they felt like they died of being able to do it. So um, I really wanted to be able to share my story and to connect with other gay dads. But we had three little ones at home. So it wasn't until they were all out of diapers and eating solid food and Levi was in pre-K or whatever that I'm like, okay, let's check out. There's got to be something going on now, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're living in Toronto. There's nothing IRL, IRL. And um, there was really nothing going on online either. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just launch it. I convinced my husband. We came up with the name Gates with Kids. Um, and we just launched it. And it started, like, my thought was, what we'll do is we'll just share stories and we'll share accurate and honest portrayals of what it takes for us to become family. And then what life is like once we are. And so over the years, you know, I, I reached out to people that I saw were blogging or had really great social media posts and to get them to write for us. And actually mm. a couple of them, uh, David Blacker still today writes like almost once a month for us. Oh my awesome. God. He's now a therapist. So I feel like nice. he's doing, giving us free therapy for the last nine years. Um, <laughs> but um, we just shared stories. And over the years, we probably have shared hundreds and hundreds, like into the thousands of stories, whether it's our website or media. And Did this uh, start as like a group on Facebook, like a, a group of, of dads and no. LGBTQ parents, or was it the website? It was the website, and then we launched on Facebook, and we launched, on Instagram, I'll tell you a funny story about Instagram in a second. So <laughs> we just launched that, and on YouTube, can't imagine Twitter. a funny story from I, Instagram. No, not, no, <laughs> no this is, way. You guys already think I'm old. Wait till you hear this story. Oh God. So <laughs> I don't think you're old. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe it. So um, we were bobbing around, and actually, we had a nanny for, as you can imagine, with three little ones. We need help, and and we were living in Toronto. So no family for me and no family for her. So we had a nanny and she was wonderful, but we actually wanted her to move in with us. And, and she didn't want, she was living with her boyfriend at the time. Like, ah, who knows how that's going to go. Leave him, come, come hang out with us. It's like, <laughs> no, today they're married and they have two beautiful children. Of their oh, own. Nice. Uh, and it's Rosalind who, so she said oh, to me, but Brian, okay. let me help you out with games with kids. Like literally date three or something. So oh I'm like, God. okay, and a couple of months into it, she says to me, you know, you're on Facebook and you're on YouTube and even on Twitter, but you don't have Instagram. So <laughs> I said, Rosalind, I don't understand this whole Instagram thing. I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants it. But if you want to start us on Instagram and you want to, you go for it. I think you're a little crazy, but you go for it. This sounds exactly like what year? Yeah, uh, so know? we're nine years ago. So we just celebrated right now. Two thousand fourteen. 
this sounds exactly like you know what I thought about when Vine first came out, um, which was like 2013, 2014. 2014 Instagram was not even remotely close oh. to what it is today. Oh no, there were no photo editing apps. There, it was like all everything was in Instagram, and you had like the like nine filters. Everything was square. I would argue to say that it was still cool. <laughs> I don't even think there was a video. I don't even think you could upload videos. No, it was no, strictly no video. square photos. I felt so hip and underground using my Valencia filter. XX Pro. <laughs> oh my god, I love XX Pro. Or whatever okay. it's called. You guys, you Anyways, know you're talking a language I don't understand right now. Just yeah, so you both it's that. just okay. Well, Instagram used to be just photos. No right. stories, right? So that there was no stories, there was no reels. I don't even think there was a, a You'd have square to take the photo video option. In app. You know, you'd have to take the photo in app. It's much more like if if you've ever used Be Real at all at this. Oh, my kids yeah. use Be Real. I try to get in it whenever I can, but they don't use it as well. So yes, anyway, you, you you saying I don't think Instagram is gonna go anywhere. In two thousand nine, like honestly, like thinking that you would need some sort of business presence on Instagram it probably didn't exist was in 2009, that was actually Michael. probably quite normal 2013 2014 oh sorry I'm sorry I'm yeah. going backwards into our conversation something <laughs> yeah. in 2009 happened 2013 yeah sorry sorry oh my gosh it didn't no, seem fine. like that long ago but lots <laughs> no happened. I got you I got you thank you for you keeping you. me on track well you guys were a couple see <laughs> balance <laughs> oh so, yeah he balances me that's it <laughs> And remind me, had have you dipped your toes into the foster like so not foster, system or no? No. Okay. So all right. So let me say, but so over the years we sold hundreds, thousands, lives. um, and uh, and all that time, you know, people would leave messages on social media, or send emails, and say, "Thank you so much. You've inspired us. You've inspired me. You've inspired me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm. you." And I always, and I don't make a down for that because that always meant a lot. I didn't hadn't figure out how to generate revenue. Um, so, and then about a year, probably like two years ago now, maybe even a little bit more, honestly, someone approached me on Facebook and we were messaging. He's like, do you mind if we do a video chat? Kind of weird. Sure. Uh, so I was like, hi. And he said to me, I just want to tell you your face. Thank you. You don't know how much you've inspired me. And if you've inspired me, I can promise you, you've inspired countless others. I follow up the clown. I said, thank you, as I always did. And then because I guess because I was talking to him and seeing him, I said to him, so tell me, what are you going to do next? And he thought for a second, and he literally shrugged his shoulders. I saw him look up to the sky for answers, and he said, I have no idea. I guess I'll have to wing it. <gasps> and then I had one of those other epiphanies, like, knock me on the head, light bulb goes off. I'm like, oh my God. And I don't mean to downplay the importance of inspiring the next generation of gay queer dads. And I know we've also helped change a lot of hearts and minds out there. But I hadn't helped anyone become a dad. I hadn't told them how to do it. I didn't even really do a good job sharing my own experience. And so that became the brainstorm that turned into GW's Gay Academy. And which I hope becomes known as the very first stop in any care of menstruated father. Because mm-hmm. I want to help everyone become a dad. And the first thing we do is make sure you understand all your options. So I'm sorry, Michael, this is a long one that answered your question. So during, as we 
experience of Bill GWK Academy, I got more. I had already known about the Fosters. We had shared stories of people. In fact, I had right, a right. really great writer, uh, Jason, who shared his whole process journey, Fosters journey, his husband. Um, and so I was pretty intimate with it, but I, although I had gone through myself, but um, I really became very familiar with it. And honestly, the more I learned, the more my heart went out. I re- realized I found out that there are over 400,000 kids in the U.S. foster care system alone, and that the purpose of Jeez. the foster care system is that to reunite the child, children, with some member of their birth family. It could be parents, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a cousin twice removed. But there are many instances in which there's no birth family to be reunited with. Mm-hmm. And so that when that happens, the kid is about freed for adoption. And at any given time, there are 25%, actually it's more than that, of the total number of kids in the adoption, in the foster care system have been freed for adoption. What does that mean? That means today there are, you know, if there are 40,000 kids, there are over, over uh, 100,000 kids it's actually 125,000 children who are just waiting for a forever family. And as bad as they all have, and I can tell you, most of those kids go through some level of neglect and abuse, et cetera, or they wouldn't be in the system. Um, and while no one wants to live in the foster care system, the kids who really get abused bad enough that they don't have loving parents or family members, but they really get abused in the system of the LGBTQ plus kids. I just want to make sure. I think a lot there are a lot more lesbians that are involved in foster system than there are gay men, and so I just want to make sure that everybody knows yeah. all your options. You can become a biological right. dad regardless of your HIV status. You can adopt a newborn baby um, domestically. You can adopt a baby won't be a newborn, but you can adopt a toddler or a child internationally in two countries that allow currently that allow out and proud gay men to do that regardless. Of your whether you're single or not, right. or you can adopt a kid from the foster care system. Um, none of them are easy journeys. I will tell you that right now. You guys should know right now. Like, there's a lot. The of a they lot of preparation. They all come with their own complications. Yeah. And you know what? On some level, I kind of feel like I wish straight people had to prepare as much to become parents. I don't care what. Path they go, but you and me both. they had to do prepare. But well, we all have to go through, right? Like, there ain't yeah. no gay man you're ever going to meet who says, Oh, you know, had a really drunken night. And yeah. I know I'm a dad. Like, it doesn't yeah. happen. We had we a, we had so a, we d- it was unplanned. Like, right. oh, we didn't, you know, it just happened. Yeah. Crazy prom like, night, you know? Yep. I oh, oops, no, we've been never wished for, for an unplanned prom night more in my life. <laughs> if I could just, like, oh my God. See, that's the funny thing is like that that would be devastating, life changing at the time if I was in high school and had <laughs> and now like a child. 10, 15 years later, you're yeah. like, and I'm like, why? No, yeah. this would But Matthew, but, but you could be doing years with kids with me now. Because you'd be yeah. an expert already. You'd have exactly. a twenty year old. Yeah. You could be oh talking about like imagine. planning your kids' marriage. If I had a twenty year old, they would <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be That'd one be of those weird. parents where they would like mistake us as siblings and I'm like, oh, oh no, I can't do this. Um, I want to just touch on one thing. So you were saying that there are only two countries that allow openly gay Earth. men to adopt internationally from. Which two are those? Colombia and South Africa. 
That's now, it. God. That's it. Wow. Nowhere that's else it. in the world can you say, I would like to adopt a child internationally. Nowhere else in the world can you be an out and proud gay man that I would like to adopt. Now, so wow. if you want to talk international adoption, so those countries, before they're going to let someone from another country adopt, they also try to find someone from the birth family. Right. They find someone from the birth family, they try to find someone inter-country, some, another citizen of their nation. But can't find that, then they open up these kids to international adoption. So who do you think these kids are? These are not the healthy kids that the countries are giving up. Most of them of have some kind of, so like I could I think, I think in South Africa, a lot of kids have HIV. Mm-hmm. You know, they have learning disabilities. In Colombia, they have a lot of other issues. Otherwise, they would have more likely been adopted. All kids are deserving a home, but at the same time, right. like it just goes to show you that things have changed a lot in the adoption sphere over the past 10, 20 years. And um, I think something that we've heard a lot of when we tell people, oh, we're, we want to have kids, you know, people a lot of the time jump to the idea of, oh, you should adopt somebody from another country. Um, something that a lot of couples did in the, I think, 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Right. However, right. <laughs> where things stand now, it, that's not really a, a possibility, and especially for gay couples, for out and proud LGBTQ couples. Um that's not an option. Well, anecdotally, and for individual, like single straight individuals, it, it sounds like too. They have to be a. It depends. They are, each country. But can you say, I want a response to something that you just said, Matthew. Ain't no one got any business telling you what to do and how to create your family. Totally. Yes. Loving. Yes. It's all about like you want to create a family. You do what's best for you. What's right for you. I, my goal, my job, as far as I'm concerned. Is making sure you are educated and then and that you understand the, the nuances or the individual challenges between each path. And that's what we try to do at GWK Academy. But please don't listen to a single person if they try to tell you which path to follow you should do that's best for you. You guys know that that's the decision you make together. Right. They're all valid. They're all amazing Correct. paths to family building. And the important part is that. The kids grow up in a home where they have Love loving it. parents. Yeah. That's a good pivot family. point, though, because I do want to. I want to ask, like, um, kind of what it's like trying to make that decision between these different paths. They all they all bring their own difficulties, um, mm-hmm. and they're all so fulfilling and accomplishing this dream of starting a family. But they're so different, and so when you're thinking about um, surrogacy adoption, foster to adopt, or just foster care in general, how do you go about like making that decision of, of, yeah, which one, which one am I going to do first? Well, and what how I'm long go for? I was going to add to, I was curious how long you had maybe gone through the adoption process before you were like, gosh, this, this doesn't really seem like it's working out for us. You know, like how long had that been before it was like, well, we don't want to wait forever and don't, and keep going through these these heartbreaks of like, oh, maybe we'll have the baby or maybe they'll take them back, you know? And then I think that happens to a, a lot of people who maybe start there is they're like, oh, well, this is harder than I thought. I think that's just where we got stuck on too. Like when we were thinking about starting a family is like, what do we do first and where do we start? And how do we make that decision, that first sure. decision? And so that's why I would really encourage your gay and queer men audience listening Check out GWK Academy. It's an app. You can download it for free. 
and you can uh, enter the create account and enter the Intro to GWK Academy course for free. And that's where we go through the different paths to fatherhood. At a very high level, I can tell you this. Surrogacy and IVF for adoption, coincidentally, will both take about two years today. And today's guide, if you are just starting your journey, and I, what I told you guys back when we spoke, right, mm -hmm. it's going to take you about two years. A surrogacy journey is going to cost about today, it's anywhere between one hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, and I know that's a big gap, but it's based on a bunch of variables, some of which you control, some of which you don't. So, I it, that's why I like to say that gap. An adoption journey today, if you want to do a private domestic infant adoption, so you want to adopt a baby in newborn like we did, it's going to cost you somewhere between thirty-five to fifty-five. Um, and so, honestly, that alone, the cost is going to drive a lot, which path a lot of people will go in. And then the right. other thing okay. is what's in your heart. Like, what is right for you? What does, you know, a lot of people want to become biological connect, connected to parents. And I know that, and I get that. I can tell you this, as a dad to an adopted son and uh, to the bio dad to twin girls, I could not possibly love Levi any more than I do. And I couldn't possibly love the girls anymore than I do or anyone. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. I can't, I like, I could never make the choice. Like, I would jump in front of a bus for all three of my kids. My husband's not the biologically connected to any of them. He couldn't love any of them more or less. Like, he loves them all equally. So that's not good. But that being, so you won't love one more than the other. But I mm -hmm. totally get that people want to have these. They want to pass them all. And that totally makes sense. That's what most of us do, right? Like, I get that. And then other people, if it's in your heart, you really want to adopt, that's fantastic. I will tell you, I hate when people say, oh, you're so good, you know, you've given this baby a family. No, he, yes, we did. But he gave us a family. Like, without Levi, yeah. we wouldn't have a family. And then... Changing the perspective of we're yeah. not saving anyone. No. We're not, we're not you know, that, that kind of savior complex outlook Correct. of like, I'm making a difference. I'm changing the world by... Right by adopting this child and that can be a very problematic view to go into adoption with so kind of Correct. like examining your bias on adoption even before you start the process and see exactly. like, it's not nobody yeah and nobody wants to feel yeah you don't want that sort of identity of like oh i'm indebted to my parents because they uh, you know that's not that's no, not but... how you want to enter like oh i have a house so i need to save someone it's it's I need, I would like to grow a family. I would like to, you know, if, if there's somebody out there that I can give a home to and they can, like you were saying, reciprocate and give me a family and, and we can give them a home and, and we can become a family together. Like that's yeah. the important part. But I think a lot of people right. think like, yeah, like, oh, we need to go, you know, save them and you need, you know, you're the savior. And it's, I, yeah. it's kind of, a, it's a weird, it's a weird situation to have to be put into, right? Of like the fact that there are kids out there with, with no homes and and that's just how our society is uh, unfortunately right. like which i think again is like how a lot of adoption was framed um years ago when a lot of people were adopting from other countries and things like that and that was kind of like i remember seeing advertisements you know <laughs> on on tv and yeah. on billboards and stuff of like adopt a child you know and it'd be this very very sad child looking at you with these big doughy eyes and that's just a no. I don't know. Remnants you, yeah, of 
you really have to do a lot of research and a lot of preparation. A couple of things about that. You have to do a lot of preparation. So whether you want to do social things or you want to help in the foster care system, you want to become a parent foster adopt. Uh, I will, by the way, tell you the quickest way to parenthood is foster adopt. The least mm -hmm. expensive way is foster adopt because foster adopt doesn't cost money. You might have to, uh, you know, front some legal fees, et cetera, but often you can even get those reimbursed. The only money that you really have to spend is like, there's a bedroom and clothes, et cetera. Right. So, but, you know, these kids come, they're in the system. So they've, I, they've experienced some form of neglect and or abuse. And so it takes real special people to be able to parent those kids. And you, and, you know, you have to be trained. You have to constantly go through training. I can tell you many, many, many wonderful, wonderful stories of dads who opened up their homes to these children and the kids, you know, when they met them, the doctor said, oh, they're only going to go this far, they're only going to get this, and they've all done so much better, they're all flourishing because they've got loving, supportive family. So whatever journey makes sense to you, just be fully informed about what you're into, what you're up for, what you're going to get yourself into it, man, and just be totally prepared. And it, again, it's a decision you'll make. If you're single, you'll make it probably with your family. If you're a couple, you'll make it with each other, maybe family or friends. But it's a very personal thing, and they're all wonderful options to consider. I think that's part. I think that's important too. Is um, a lot of sentiment that that has been kind of you know put towards us or our way from that we've been hearing is you know about the foster care system and we have friends and family who have both done it and I think that it takes a very it also takes um somebody who has a, enough time right because like you were saying abuse and neglect like that kid needs a lot of personal attention and if you can't give it to them because you're super busy you're working you're traveling um then now you're you're having to bring somebody in to do that or you're putting it out onto um the school or therapists to try and like, you know, kind of make that, that kid feel safe um, and correct any potential behaviors. And maybe that kid is perfect and that's fine too, but it's, you never know. And I, I think a lot of the placements that we've seen with our friends and family, like there are a lot of different variables and different things that they've had to kind of like react to. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of, time and a lot of energy correct correct <laughs> so, yeah and you have to have that time you have to have that energy you definitely so. be a mixed bag whether or not you're going in whichever path that you choose to parenthood um we can talk about averages or what it usually takes but there are always and i think especially for <laughs> this field there are lots of exceptions it is right. all over the place as far as cost goes or timeline and in all of those factors because it could be like one thing and then it could be a completely different thing. And you're just like, why, why did I go down this path? And you say a biological <laughs> kid, you know, one of our daughters has autism. Uh, and Correct. the other yeah. instance. So, and, and you'll, and you know what that happens to you, you'll deal with it and you'll do the best you can to give her the best life she can have. Right. And that's what we're doing. So, um, yeah, but the yeah. other, the one, I'm sorry, there's one other point I did want to make though. That I think is, and then I have so, one other point wait. that I want to ask you. So go. Oh, all right, go. All right. So the oh major, really, really, you guys are up. What's really, really important 
is uh, your family building partner. And so I talk about whether it's a surrogacy, be your IVF clinic, mm. a doctor, your adoption agency, your foster care agency, attorney that you use. It's critically important. And as you guys mentioned already, it's changed a lot of the surrogacy and IVF space. Everyone wants the gay dollar. Um, it's important that you work with clinics and with doctors that have been doing this for a long time. And doing this, I don't just mean field of surrogacy and IVF. I'm specifically working in third-party reproduction, which, as you guys know, is what they refer to when you're talking about a gay surrogacy journey because mm -hmm. we need a third party, right? The egg donor, we need another third party to carry the, the baby. Sorry. Um, so there are a lot more out there. Uh, in terms of adoption, I think people often, just at, or foster care, I think people make the mistake of just going to the agency close to them, and they don't do the research. And if it's not a religious-based agency, then they have to take them, even if they don't really want to because they're gay. And I've talked to several different couples who've been lingering, two in fostering, one adoption, and for a long time, oh, because yeah. they okay. didn't do their research, and it turns out neither of these agencies is LGBTQ friendly. How do I know it? Because whether it's a surrogacy agency, an IVF clinic, an adoption or a reproduction attorney or an adoption attorney, or adoption agency or foster agency, if they ain't shouting it from the rooftop, that they love LGBTQ plus family building, then you turn around and you walk away from them. And by shouting from the rooftops, I mean on their websites, on the social media platforms, you've got to see us and you've got to see our families and you've got to see content written for us to help us. I mean, that's a really good point and it's not clicking. It didn't click for me until just now, but like, yeah, because the LGBTQ plus population is growing so rapidly and we're all starting to make these decisions of having kids. Of course, these agencies are going to want that money, that dollar of the LGBTQ plus community. Yay, capitalism. So if they are not advertising it on their websites and elsewhere, like, of course, they do not want anything to do with the LGBTQ plus community then because if if they want the money, they're going to put it on their website. That's right. like they have to make that statement. And that you kind sense. of read my mind because that's what that was one oh, thing that, that, that I was going to ask is um, like, how do you vet? How yeah. do you vet those agencies and clinics? Like, what's that process like? So you don't get stuck in a hole. Yeah. So you want so how the great question is how do the WK Academy specifically vet family building partners? So I lump anyone that's helping us. I actually, I like to consider us to be someone's very first daily building partner. Um, and then uh, from there, though, we work with what I like to call an exclusive network of surrogacy and IVF daily building partners. Today, there are many, honestly, there are many that have lots of expertise in third-party reproduction and, are, quite frankly, are very passionate about it as well. I only work with a few because I need them for content. So on GWK Academy's surrogacy and IVF course, they help provide all the content, um, and we host webinars. And then um, I want to make sure that anyone I'm referring to, if you know someone enrolls in GWK surrogacy course, I'm in referring them to one of our family members. I just want to know that these guys are awesome. So we've done a lot of work on them. Um, they they came up early on. The way our our first round of family building bars came up was I told you we sold hundreds and hundreds and thousands of stories. The mm. first ones I, when I came up with this concept, the first ones I approached are the ones that came up in our stories all the time. And then we did our research. 
And we went to make sure there's shelter from the rooftop. We asked dad to use them. Um, and so really did our research. That's how, how we found the Cyrocene IPF partners. So my goal is that ultimately we build up a network, a national network. And actually I wanted to do Canada too, a, a North American network of agencies for every single state and province in Canada. For now, we've got about 14 or 15 and again, just because they came up in our story. Um, and so we began to build relationships with them. Um, and we know a bunch of dads who have used them and have all had great experiences with them. They also, there are several other um, uh, achievements, that, like if they've been HRC certified, we'll take a look at that. Maybe Family Equality Council has a host of programs as well to get people uh, competent with working with the LGBTQ community. So we'll look at those things. We have like a host of different ways. So right. if you're in adoption or foster care, please, yeah, definitely use us to make sure you're working with the right agency. Sargassi and IVF, I stand very, very strongly behind all of our family building partners. Um, and I would love you to at least talk to them. All of our family building partners in Sargassi and IVF do offer discounts to people enrolling us. But I just feel, and I like to be transparent too, I actually do yeah. get paid from the surrogacy and IVF family building partners. Uh, I like, and I tell everybody that. That being said, I stand firmly behind what I said. We fed them. We know they're awesome. That you know, either the founders or the head folks that we talk to um, are really share my passion to help you guys become dads, and that's how we do. So, but our network, we will never have in the surrogacy and IVF. It's huge encompassing. It will always be an exclusive, smaller group. And like I said, mm -hmm. looking to build out adoption foster agencies in every state yeah i'm just thinking about kind of like the journey of kind of like what you brought to the table of going from this place of um just not knowing if you'd ever have the chance of building a family and being in that you know that that post hiv sphere and then helping hundreds and hundreds of people build families hundred thousands yeah thousands yeah. i i really enjoyed hearing about the start of GWK. It was founded in a way to tell the stories of LGBTQ plus couples, people who are starting families in non-traditional ways and, and being able to share those stories and inspire others. And I think that's so important because when you think about, um, I mean, when I think about us five years, 10 years back, thinking about how we're gonna maybe start a family one day there's so many questions out there. There's not a lot of answers. And then there's also not a lot of inspiration. We didn't see very many faces out there of people like us um, who were starting families. That's because and... you're ultra, ultra cute. Oh, <laughs> well. Oh, God. <laughs> Besides that, we <laughs> didn't see very That's many funny. gay couples out there having kids. And so I think like a big thing is to help change that narrative of like, look, there are a lot of LGBTQ plus couples out there who are having kids and that do have families. And let's look at those stories and share those stories and be able to inspire others who also want that. And not only, you know, you started there, but then moving on to not only are we inspiring other people, but also there's a lot of questions out there and we don't know how to freaking do this. There's so many options and there's no information out there. So let's try to figure out how we can organize that information and make it more accessible for other people. And that's what we're doing. We're still moving in that direction. You know, we like 
we're not there yet. It's still complicated. There's still a lot of issues with these systems and we need to continue the discussion and figure out how we can make these systems better um, and more accessible for all LGBTQ plus couples everywhere and people who struggle with infertility issues. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this expertise and like, and answering the question of where do you start when thinking about have like starting a family because that's a big question and i wouldn't be surprised if we um come back and have more questions for you in the future yeah because there's already like seven things that you mentioned that i'm like oh my god i would love to dive into that <laughs> you know i would be bored that ha- you just tell me when i'm i'm here well, i think we have to get you back to your husband but All thank right. you so much <laughs> for joining us on the who's your daddy podcast and we can't wait to talk to you again. Right, Ryan thank Rosenberg, you guys. everybody. It was great to thank be you. here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. What did you think? That was incredible. We so Brian um contacted us and we talked to Brian at the beginning of this journey. And he is actually we used one of the well, we used a partner IVF clinic and a partner agency um with gays with kids. But he was more offering information to us we didn't get to actually ask him that much that many questions about his journey right i know so it's crazy to hear pretty incredible to like hear where he comes from and how he actually came to become a father um yeah wasn't expecting all that so no and i remember (laughs) i remember um what was it the last episode of the one before where i was we were talking about what our you know we're most excited about and i was most excited to talk to people and talk to guests that we're going to have on the podcast and listen to their stories because it's so interesting and even just talking to him and comparing that to like multiple people that we've not talked to yet on the podcast but uh are going to in the future because we know their stories it's just so interesting like how different everybody's family Mm. building story is i think it's so cool yeah that is the grain of salt to take everything with is that every every family building (laughs) journey is different and we can talk about it as much as we want to make a template but then when you enter into it it's just a big mystery and you don't really know what you're gonna get so yeah that's it that's the podcast thank you for coming and listening um about how to even where to even begin when you ask the question how do i start my family do you remember the outro oh do i remember the outro yes i remember the outro thanks for listening and until next time daddy's Daddy's out out. (laughs) Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.